Shabbat Shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel Joshua Hadley, and tonight I'm, as you can see, joined by Pamela Glasgow. Now, before I really bring her on, I uh, just want to say I'm coming to you tonight from the Outer Banks. That is not a real fish behind me over there that's like a decoration of a pretend uh, fish. But um, I'm actually on a brocation this week, and I'm going to ask him to come over here. He's over here on the side, and I'm here with my Hebro Dave. We're here to spend the week together, and uh, we're all settling in today. Anyways, good times, and he was over here laughing at me because I'm, I'm drinking my coffee and just to, to function, and he was telling me that if he were to drink coffee, he'd be up till four in the morning, which uh, wouldn't be a bad thing because then we could stand up, uh, stay up talking. Now, tonight we're going to be going over the Paleo-Hebrew Psalms, and again, before I, I bring her on, she's, she's right over here on my uh, stage uh, left, uh, patiently waiting. I wanted to show some of the books that uh, have been released over the last few months with the TUC book club, one of which is Pamela's. Yes, I actually brought my, I bring my library with me on vacation. So this right here we released a few months ago. This is the Book of the Nazarene. And uh, the Book of the Nazarene and the Enlightened One, excellent read. This one right here just came out. I just got this like a few days ago. Nice controversial read right there. Mary Magdalene. Wife of Messiah. Already, some uh, I'm getting some hate mail just for holding this up, and uh, this is some of my my favorite research I've ever put on my entire life. Last month's selection was uh, the Hidden Wilderness, which uh, again, this is some of my favorite research I've ever put out. Both of these books are by me, uh, yours truly, Noel Joshua Halley, The Hidden Wilderness, and Mary Magdalene. And then we're getting ready next month to release. The Earth Not a Globe Review Volume 2. Well, here is Earth Not a Globe uh, Volume 1. Well, yes, I brought all these books from home. I, I carry my bookshelf with me. And uh, so this week we will be going over Pamela's. Uh, this was Pamela two or three months ago we released this one. Uh, Psalms from the Paleo-Hebrew Volume 1. And she is actively working on Volume 2 right now. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Pamela, and if you don't mind, Pamela, maybe you could uh, just open us with prayer. I know I'm just putting you on the spot there, but that would be awesome if you did. And then I'll just hand it over to you. Alahayam, ever live. Thank you for this time that we are together. Thank you that we are gathered in one purpose to find out. What's, what, what you have hidden in your word. And we ask that you would grant to us, grant to us wisdom and understanding so that our minds, our hearts, our nafash should be enlightened and revived and renewed with your Ruach. And we ask these things in the name of our Savior, Yeshua HaMashiach. Thank you, Pamela. So uh, take us away. All right. If you're looking along with the the PDF, the, the file, you'll see, how did I get here from there? And you'll notice there's a family picture 
Um, we were on a trip to the Great Smoky Mountains, and if you can see by the the clothing, this was during the 70s. You see my stylish coat clothing, a little bit of high waters there. Um, this is my brother, Alan, my sister, Kathy. She's in the pink. And then myself by the family station wagon. And uh, the reason why I, I, I showed this picture was to, it, it sort of represents a journey, the journey that I've been on. Um, I would not have imagined myself. I would not have imagined myself on that day that I would ever have done anything like this. Uh, I grew up in the Protestant church, of course, and, and um, I knew a few things about the Hebrew culture. Of course, we studied the, um, the Old and the New Testaments, and I had my favorite stories. There was David and Goliath, Noah and his ark, Daniel in his lion's den. And I used, you know, we had a few words, not many, because, you know, this is Alabama, uh, you know, South Bible Belt. And uh, Shalom and Amen, uh, that word as close to Hebrew as I got. Uh, I had my favorite characters. I had my favorite characters in the Old Testament. I was, one of them, of course, was David. And uh, I really, when I, at this time in my life, at this picture, I wanted to be Enoch. I, um, I don't, I can't really tell you why you're probably just saying Enoch. Because at that time, I just, you just have just that little bit of a blurb in the um, Old Testament. And it, it, at that time, I, you know, I didn't know that he was, that ha, there had been a book attributed to him. Uh, just these few short verses in Genesis 5, 21 through 24. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with Al-Hayam 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 days, a significant number. Enoch walked with Alhayam, and he was not, for Alhayam took him. Now, maybe it was the part where, you know, Enoch was translated, he didn't see death. Or perhaps it was the idea that Enoch found again what we lost, what humanity lost in the garden, that is, walking with Alhayam. So uh, whatever was the allure, I wanted it. And uh, I say these things to help you understand some of the journey that I've been with. Because I, I had a deep, you know, I was, I was raised with a deep reverence for the word of the Most High. And these influences, my father in particular, uh, really loved the scriptures. So all these influences influenced my life, influenced the path that I took, Hadarev, that uh, Yahawaha brought me on. And even being a, a church musician, it has led me to this moment. Because as I said, I was, I really, I felt an affinity for David. He was a musician. He, he 
he wanted to walk with uh with y'all and so uh, any mistakes that we're encountering they're mine they're mine i'm human and there is no translation that is perfect there's no translation that's perfect not even mine and so any knowledge that i have any wisdom any understanding y'all gave it he planted the seeds in my whole life and the desire in my life, he cultivated it, uh, tended it, pruned it. And he alone gives hachamaha and bayanaha, which is wisdom and understanding. That being said, let's get started. Noel, that is you. Well, I'm going to throw a curveball into this. And I'm going to have asked Dave here with me to read Psalm 6. So, Dave, you want to step over here? He's got the book in front of him. Do I have to be on camera? He does. No, you do not have to be on camera. Well, I mean, I but he, you can visualize him right here next to me. I got the book and everything. All right. Psalm 6, to the preeminent musician, to the superintendent of temple services, singer. Can you guys all hear that? Pamela, good? Yeah. Nice and loud? All right. All right. A mocking or taunt song to be performed upon Shemanit, an eight-stringed lyre, a mizmor of Dawid. Yahuwah, self-existent one, do not rebuke me. When your face burns with anger or when your nostrils flare and you breathe heavily in your wrath, discipline me not with the venomous poison of rage poured out. Be gracious and show mercy. Pity me, for I am weak and feeble. Rafa, heal me. O oh, Yahuwah, make me whole, for disturbed within me are my limbs, my bones. They tremble. My nerves are shot. My nefesh the living vital essence of self, the center of my person, the seat of my emotions, that which breathes is dismayed. Make vast the space, broaden my horizons, free me from narrowness and vexation. Your account, sorry, on account of your grace and favor, your zeal and ardor, turn back, restore that which was taken. O Yahuwah, draw me with cords of love, Deliver my nefesh, the living vital essence of self, the center of my person, the seat of my emotions, that which breathes on account of your zeal, your ardor, your grace and favor, your mercy. For there is no remembrance of you in the realm of death, in Shaul, the hollow subterranean place, who will cast forth your praise. I labor and toil. Fatigue grips me. Leyalaha, the night terror. During that time period of darkness and obscurity, my bed swims with tears. My couch flows from my weeping. My eyes are moth-eaten because of vexation and grief. My eyes are stricken with age on account of my rival who oppresses me, my adversary who brings me to distress. To turn away from, sorry, turn away from me, depart, all you fabricators of emptiness and vanity, for Yahuwah has heard and answered the voice of my weeping. Yahuwah heard and answered my supplication. Yahuwah took for himself, yes, he received my hymn of supplication. Let the hope and expectation of my adversaries fail, 
and let my haters be exceedingly vexed. Let their mind be troubled and confused. Let them tremble in trepidation. Turn them back and put them to silence in a wink. That will be Dave's like. This is the last time I ever uh, have uh, a Sabbath with Noel because I threw him on the spot there. Thank you, Dave. That was amazing. Good job. So back to you, Pamela. All right. Now, if you will uh, look to where it says notes. Now, I this particular psalm, I I really did. I translated it three times, four if you count when I was preparing for tonight. I kept losing my notes. Uh, to understand, you know, sort of the scope of this misfortune, I need to answer. I need to answer a question that's this often put to me: How do you translate the Paleo Hebrew? Now, first, I I write the Paleo Scripture by hand. Now, why? Um, well, I I feel like it's a, it's a commandment for us. The people of Yashar were often referred to as a nation of kings and priests. That word for king is malach. Uh, it means one who walks for another. Uh, those last two letters reading from right to left, the lama and the kuf, uh, I'm sorry, kaf, uh, that, makes, that means foot, one who walks for, from the foot. So malach is often translated, as I said, king or messenger. From its meaning, you can see that messenger is probably the better choice. There were rules under which a malak or king were to operate. And we re read about it in Deuteronomy 17:20. Now it should come about when he, Malak, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of the law, Torah, uh, on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read. Read it all the days of his life that he may learn to reverently fear by carefully observing all the words of the Torah and its the statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside to the right or the left, so that he and his sons may continue in his kingdom in the midst of Yasharah. So a malak is expected to write uh, a copy with the implication, of course, that he would become a student of the Torah. As a side note, if you're not writing scriptures by hand, I encourage you to do so. Not necessarily in the paleo. I, I, I think you should, everyone should be writing. After writing these words, I, I search the meaning of the individual letters. I try to discover the two-letter parent root. Most Hebrew words have a two-letter parent root. Often, uh, especially in longer words, you have more than one. And these are like layered on one another. And I then seek the three-letter child root. Um, and prefixes and suffixes are taken into account. My go-to... Um, my go-to lexicon or dictionary is Jacinius, Jacinius, and I have a hard copy. And the reason I have a hard copy is they change it. They change it. They change these things. So this is 1979 that I have. 
Uh, I do this for every word. Uh, translating the payload, at least my standard operating procedures, it's a lengthy process. And it can be, sometimes it gets very frustrating. I often pray for wisdom, hakamaha, and understanding, Vyanha. And now let's look at these Debarayam of Psalm 6. So first of all, we have the Paleo-Hebrew letters themselves. Now some people have said that Hebrew does not have uh, vowels. Yes, it does. There are five vowels, the Aleph, the Alf, the Ha, the Ua, the Ya, and the Ayan. And Hebrew, Paleo-Hebrew is, is unique in that it's like it has these stealth vowels attached to every syllable, every symbol. So as you can see, it's usually the first two letters. Say, for instance, alf, uh, the sound is ah. The bat, it, it's ba. And the gam or gamal is ga. So you can see each one of these letters has its own vowel attached. So there's no need for nikud. And in fact, the nikud are interpolation and they're a way of hiding meaning. Now I've dropped in, I, I didn't drop into the chat, but I do have right here, I've inserted a few, you know, this one note into the PDF. It's, we have the charge of the letters. And now I, this is the first word in Psalm 6. And I kind of did these little color brackets to show you that there are actually, in this one word, what's called one word, there are actually four words. And we have Lama uh, Nutzak. And it, it shows all these multiple meanings. We have the Lam and the Mom. Uh, the Lam is that first on the right. And it's a picture of a shepherd's staff. And that letter, it, the actions related to being a shepherd are attached to that letter. So leading, guiding, controlling, pulling toward, pushing away, all those things are attached to that letter. That meaning is, is attached. The next letter is the mom, which is a picture of water such as the water of chaos or the water of life. In this case, I would say water of life. So uh, this person, Nutzak, is one who has authority, who is leading toward the water of life. The next three words, uh, letters, form the child root, Nutzak, Nutzak. And Again, reading from the right to left, we have noon, which looks like a lightning bolt. You know, like the Harry Potter lightning bolt. And it, it shows the picture, you know, it's, it's, it, it, we have the Zod, which is like, it's showing like a one trail, and then you have this other trail uh, leading off from it. And lastly, we have the hut, which is the image of a tent wall. The letters noon's meaning is fish, to sprout, to spread, offspring, action, life, heir to the throne. That's interesting. 
glitter. The first and last meanings of this letter are tied together. The fish and the glitter, you know, you when you see a fish in the water sometimes, the scales will glint in the light. The letter Zod carries the meaning of a trail path fish hook to pull uh, desire and righteous. Uh, Zedekiah is the word for righteous. So that it actually means Zedekiah righteousness means to follow the correct path. And finally, the the hot shows us a tent wall or fence. It can mean in a room or to separate, to obstruct, a wall of obstruction or a wall of protection. And Jacinius, he tells us the def definition of Nutsak is to shine, to be bright, to be over something, to superintend, to lead in music. This person is one who shines, who is bright, who oversees, or who is the superintendent of something who leads in music is both a wall of protection and a wall of obstruction, a person who leads us in the right path or toward the water of life. Now, I didn't put this in the PDF, but uh, historically, um, Aaron and his sons, you know, the high priest, and then you have the Levitical priests. These are layers of protection. These people are layers of protection to, to keep, you know, he said, so that, so that I don't break out among the people. Um, Noel said something during Passover that, that I found very profound. He talked about that there's a, a certain wildness about the, the, the Most High. You just, you can't contain him. You can't contain him. So um, the Levitical priests, the high priests, they're a layer of protection for, for, for people to keep them from, you know, inadvertently uh, incurring wrath, I suppose you could say. Now, the amazing thing to me is that all of this meaning, all of this information is contained within one word. Uh, to the bright shining, all that. Uh, and at this, at this point in the Psalms, I was being very conservative. Uh, I was still uh, very much, you know, feeling my way. And I translated this word later. And most of the later, the heading is to the bright shining, glittering from afar. Superintendent of temple services, the chief musician. So if you think in terms of they're wearing these beautiful, these beautiful Levitical garments, these beautiful priestly garments. And uh, so other translations simply say to the overseer or to the chief musician. And their choices are valid, but. Uh, it, in my humble opinion, it's 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 it doesn't con convey as much uh, meaning as what this word deserves. Now, uh, the uh, another thing about the Paleo Hebrew is that you can look at the Paleo and get meaning, even if you can't read it, if you can't understand it, you're going to get some meaning from it. Now, the next word is uh, has to do with nagan, Hebrew 5059, which is the root word for, if I can pronounce it right, because I'm so far away, Hanuga Yanulath, which is Strong's number 5058, and it's the term for a stringed instrument. Uh, nagan means to play or strike the strings. 
if you look at the word below and compare it to the picture above, I, I gave you two antique coins, pictures of two antique coins. Both of these are attributed during the period, period when uh, Israel was trying to rebel against Roman occupation. You can see this is a Kenor, a Kenor harp. And you uh, can also see the paleo around it. So there is the Kenor harp, which is usually considered the Davidic harp. And if you look below the text that I'm reading right now, you'll see the paleo. You have Noon, Gom, Noon. And if you would say, think of it in terms of a, um, a Kenor, if you've ever seen the Davidic harp, you have two columns, and then the gom represents movement. So when you're playing this harp, your hand is moving. You've got this movement. So you've got these two columns, and then, of course, the strings have the upper bar, and then the strings come down like this, and the hand is moving like this. So you can see, you can look at Nugan, and you can see what's going up. Um, and, of course, the noon represents something that's shining, something that's beautiful. So it's a beautiful instrument. It's a beautiful instrument. And uh, the harp on these coins, as I said, is a canor. It's a lyre-type harp. And it had the two columns, and the sound box was always below. Now, all string instruments have a sound box. All of them. This is my ukulele, sorry. And so every... This this is the sound box of the ukulele. On the harp, the sound box was usually down here. Or it was like this. And you always have to have a sound hole as well. Because the sound box, it amplifies the sound. That's how they did it before uh, electronics. That's how they just made a sound box. And then you've got those strings coming down. Now, uh, Nugan, combined with the word... Shama Yanu, which is the word for eight or an octave, it tells us that this psalm was to be performed on an eight-stringed lyre harp using a plectrum or a pick. Usually they had a, the plectrum was a feather, usually. And uh, as, as I said, here is, this is more, if you'll notice, this is a canor harp on a stand. And this is a 10-string one, so uh, uh, it's a little bit bigger than, than what David, the one David's indicating. In the final part of the heading, we, uh, we have the name, Dalt, Uah, Dalt. Um, uh, Dave pronounced it Dawid. Is that how, Dave, I think that's how he's pronounced it. Uh, that is how it's usually pronounced in the... Uh, modern Israeli Hebrew, and uh, you could you could pronounce it David, David, or even dude. I uh, I always thought that was kind of funny. Uh, in the Paleo, it's Dawad, Dawad, and this word means beloved, and it's it's um, it's Hebrew. You know the H seventeen thirty two in the Strong's. And yes, David was the dude. 
other than King David's name, another use can be found in the Song of Solomon, and it's Dobi Li. In the modern Israeli Hebrew, uh, it's Dawad Ya Laya in Paleo, my beloved to me. It's it's actually a uh, when I was a wedding musician playing on the harp. It's a very famous uh, song, and I've played it at a couple of weddings. Dodi Lee, my beloved to me. Now uh, we come to at last the body of the song. We leave the heading behind, and uh, I enter into probably the most controversial word in all of Scripture. And there's going to be, there probably will be some people who get angry with me. But before I begin, I will state that I have listened to and I have read many, many accounts of Bible researchers and scholars as they explain the position on why they have transliterated the name the way that they do. I'm aware of those. I need some popcorn for this. This is good. <laughs> I need some. I understand these different pronunciations. I understand that, and I will explain. Try to explain to you why I've come to the conclusions that I have. I want you to understand that these letters remain constant. However, we pronounce them, the letters stay the same, and it's Yaha Ha, and they don't change. And of course, we're reading them from the right to the left. Now, these vowels create a Hebrew verb. This is a verb that has become a name. And um, it is Strong's number 3068. And I pronounce it. I just simply let the, the letters speak for themselves. I told you that the paleo has vowel, has what we call vowels attached to them so it would be yaha waha it's i'm just letting it speak for itself i'm not trying to do i before e except after c none of that and uh, i place an apostrophe in the middle just to help with translation it is not in the letters do you see it's not in the letters i put it there just to help with pronunciation, because there is no capitalization, there is no punctuation in the Paleo Hebrew, none. And um, the the three letter child root of this is Ha Laha, which is Strong's nineteen thirteen, which means to breathe, to breathe, or to blow, as in the wind blowing. It can also mean desire, because you know you know, breathing heavily, to long after something or someone, it is synonymous with hayaha, hayaha. And the above word is Strong's 1961, which carries the definition to be or to exist. These two are synonymous. They mean the same thing. And uh, to, to the ancient Hebrews, to breathe meant that you were alive. You existed. And I repeat myself for a purpose because, you know, there's a lot of people debating that the true name of creator is actually found in Exodus 3. And uh, I'm going to read from that, Exodus 3, uh, 14. And Elohim declared unto Moshe, 
Ahayaha, Ashar, Ahayaha. And he declared, you shall say unto the children of Yashorel, Ahayaha has sent me to you. Now, many people claim that this is the only name that Creator gave. And this alone, to their way of thinking, should be how we refer to them. And at one time, I, you know, I might have fallen into this. But let's just compare. And please excuse my shaky writing. I was trying to use my, my Apple pen, and I was not too good at it. So my letters are kind of shaky. So here on the right, we have Yah-Ha-Ua-Ha. And after this, Ahayaha. Can you spot the similarities between the two? Can you see the symbols that are the same? It's a two-letter word, root. Moses used it. Moshe used it in Exodus 15 and 2, and also in Exodus 17, 6. The word is Yaha. Yaha in the Pedia or Yah in the modern Israeli Hebrew. This, this word, has, this name has been preserved in Hallelujah. It's there. And David used it in 68.4. Sing unto Al-Hayam, sing praises unto his name. Lift up to him who rides the arid desert regions. In Yaha is his name. And it's those two symbols, the Yah and the Ha. I'm sorry, messed up. And you will exhaust and resort, rejoice before his face. I drew my picture in the wrong spot. Okay, again, breath to them equals life. Just this week, I was alerted to a new-to-me resource. I, I can't remember who put me onto it. The Fenton Bible. Uh, Farrar Fenton, in his translation, I was going to put that the years, used the term ever-living to indicate creator's name and character. In Psalm 6, I use self-existing one. We find this concept in the beginning of his story in Genesis 1 and 3, when Al-Hayam declares, Yahayah-Ah-War, which mostly, most people translate, let there be light. But it, it's like you say, he will exist, light. That's what it's saying. I think Dave, just this week, he said something about he will exist, Rakia, which I thought was very interesting. Um, this discussion wasn't as brief as I thought it would be, um, but I hope that it's brought a little bit of clarity. Even if you don't agree with me, even if you don't agree with me, I hope you understand my uh, position on the name, but more important than how you pronounce the name is to understand that his name equals his character. Do you know his character? Do you try to emulate his character, his way of acting, his will and purpose? If you stir up contention and strife over a pronunciation, then I would question whether you understand his character at all. So, you know, how, whatever is you feel led to pronounce it, I, I make no judgment on that. I'm just telling you my position.
Now the next word is it, you know, like I said, mistakes happen. It says, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Now, this is one of my, my mistakes. As I was saying, when I was doing this, I was very conservative. Um, and I was afraid to go against some of the mistakes I could see these mistakes that went from person to person to person to translate to translate to translate. And this is one of them. And it's the Aleph, Aleph Lam, or Lamad. Most lexicons and dictionaries will say that this means is nothing or negation. I have come to realize that this word should be translated exactly as you see it. The alf carries the meaning of strong power first chief. Lamad is the picture of the shepherd's staff, and it has the inherent action, meaning of actions a shepherd exhibits, leading, guiding, teaching, protecting. Together, they can mean strong leader or chief shepherd. And I really believe that he wants us to think of him as a chief shepherd. Uh, Yeshua, or Yeshua, referred to himself as the good shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I made a typo there. So in Psalm 6, those of you who own this book, I, I you can pencil in, be gracious and show mercy, chief shepherd, right before that. So we have... Cheap shepherd, be gracious and show mercy, pity me. And that leads us to the next word, uh, H2603. Now, kanunuya uh, or khonani is a verb which means be gracious toward, have pity, or make acceptable. The word begins with the hot, which uh, as I've said before, denotes a wall of protection or a wall of obstruction. The noon and the Yah show that Yah works both life and protection over those to whom he is gracious toward. Pity me, David asked Yahweh, to heal him and make him whole. The word for healing that David uses is Rapha. Now, this is a really interesting word to me. Jacinius uh, defines Rapha as to sew together, as in to mend. Also, to heal should be properly understood as to heal a wounded person by sewing up the wound. Rapha can also mean weak and feeble. I use these, both of these meanings on 
page 37 in the Psalms from the Paleo-Hebrew. Pity me, for I am weak and feeble. Rapha, heal me. O Yahawaha, make me whole. Now, there are all other uses of the word Rapha in Scripture. And this is when it gets really interesting. The first mention was in Genesis or Barashayath 2017, where Abraham prayed unto Alahayam, and Alahayam healed Abimelech and his wife and his maid so that they bore children. The name Raphael has been given to the messenger or angel, Malak. The name means Al, chief shepherd, will heal. Uh, in modern Hebrew, they they say L, L. Now, Rapha functions as the root for Raphaim, or Raphaites. This is a race of giants that we found in the Old Testament. King Og of Bashan was descended from the Raphaim. Because of this Rapha root, I suspect that these giants had or have regenerative capabilities. It may even explain one of the ways that the giants came back after the flood, the ones that could heal themselves. Um, so in Exodus 15, 26, Alahayam tells Moshe and the children of Yasharal, Adanuya, Yahawaha, Rafa'ah. Or I am Yahawaha, your healer. Below is the phrase in the Paleo Hebrew. Now, our next word uh, in our study, it, it, it occurs a lot, a lot in scripture. It is usually translated as so. And that word is nefash. Now, what is nefash? Uh, this is a very deep question. And Jacinius, uh, he gives us nefash as its primary definition, breathe or to take a breath. Again, to the ancients, breathing equated living. And after this, uh, he listed soul as well as life as possibilities. I looked at the online dictionary to define soul, and you can see how they have it. It is the scriptural, or I can't read that too good. Can you read that, Noel? The definition for soul, I can't, I can't read it on my mic. Yeah, let me, um, let's see here. So the definition of soul, which is interesting, Pamela, because I was just this week, I was like looking up the definition of soul and looking at it. So this is pretty cool, like spot on timing. All right. The spiritual or immaterial part of a human being or animal regarded as immortal. Uh, the example here is they believe death is just one step in a soul's journey through the universe. Uh, number two would be emotional or in intellectual energy or intensity, especially as revealed in a work of art or an artistic performance, as in their interpretation lacked soul. All right. So as you can see, um, to, to me, it seems like they're separating the physical 
and the spiritual, which that would not have, have been uh, the case to the Hebrew way of thinking. Uh, as I said, they linked nefash or nefesh to breathing, which is a physical activity. Now, if we look at that again, we have <clears throat> noon, which is our nakash. Uh, it equals life, something glittering or shining from afar. Phi, uh, or fa, or pay, it's called pay in modern Israeli history. Hebrew, uh, it means mouth speech, eat, I'm sorry, mouth speech, while Sean, uh, it looks like a W to us, and it pictures teeth, and it means teeth, eating, consuming, devouring. Nefash is intricately linked to both these things, physical and spiritual, and since we know, of course, that the word breathe our breath is ruah. In scripture, we are told that the nafash can hunger. It can thirst. Uh, to it, it can be seen as the center of the emotions, of the faculties of thinking and understanding. In the book of Proverbs, Samuel, 1 Samuel. And according to Deuteronomy 4 and 9 and Lamentations 3 and 20, with Without nefesh, with our nefesh, we remember. The nefesh can remember. This term was used, when, and they also used nefesh when they were talking about county souls. I think Noel uh, talked about this when they were doing census. They used the term souls. Even in the nautical terms, sometimes they said that there were, there were so many souls aboard the ship. So... Uh, the first mention of Nefash, as I said, happens in Genesis or Bereshayas, 1 in 20. Then Alahayam said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures, which is Nefash, and let birds fly above the earth in the open firmament, which is Rakia of Hashemayim. The first mention of nefash in relation to humans occurs in Genesis or Bereshayat 2.7. And then Yaha Awaha Alahayam formed us Adam of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Ha Adam became a living soul. Nefash. I will let you draw your own conclusions of what you think uh, nefash is uh, and I have translated it is um, as the living vital essence of self, the seed of my emotions, that which breathes. And as I said earlier, breath equals life. I I do try to translate that word every time the same way every time because one of the problems that we we've all discovered is the fact that there's not any there's inconsistencies inconsistencies in these different english versions even within the same translation they will take one word and and translate it multiple ways 
So now we we go, we encounter a word that we uh, uh, we've done in another study. Yasha. Now, if you look at this, this is on page twenty-one of the uh, PDF. It says it literally means uh, he will devour, and I that in parentheses is my addition. He will devour the eye or experience. Now, Yasha is the root word of Mashiach's name. In the Paleo Hebrew, we have again that phrase, he will devour the eye experience. Yasha, according to Decinius, should rightly be understood as to be spacious, to be ample, broad, or to set free, to be helped, or to give victory. So Though it's often understood as salvation, that word meaning salvation, uh, it's actually, if you could think in terms of, there's this prisoner inside a small cage. And Yasha, this, this person is hemmed in, caged in, and suddenly the door's open. And that he's, he or she is drawn out of confinement into open spaces and that literally is what yasha means i was in this narrow space and suddenly i'm delivered into a broad place and david desired that yah would make vast the space that he would broaden the my horizon free me from narrowness and vexation and there i tried to use my apple pen to put that whole phrase in there about uh, David's prayer to Yah. Now, next we have on page 23, top of 23, I will say of Yahweh, my refuge and my fortress, my Allahayah, in him I will trust. And this is Psalm 91, verse 2. That word, uh, the word refuge, is hot samak, which means refuge. This is a two-letter parent root. We have hot, that wall of protection. Samak, which is support or guard. It's a picture of a thorn. Thorn. Uh, when we add the dot door, the word becomes hasad, which in the Hello Hebrew translates as door to refuge. So hasad, door of refuge. Uh, the website do it in Hebrew. Uh, it defines hasad as to pity, to have mercy, to save, to spare, to go easy on. Jacinius states that the meaning of hasad is desire, ardor, zeal, and kindness. So David prays for Yah to deliver his nefesh. And he doesn't say it, you know, deliver my nefesh because I'm king or, or deliver my nefesh because of something I've done. He, he says, deliver me on account of your zeal and ardor, your grace and favor, your mercy 
for there is no remembrance of you in the realm of death in Sha'alal, the hollow subterranean place, who will cast for your praise. So now we have some a few not so pleasant words to look at. The first is Sha'alal, the which is Sheol in the modern Israeli Hebrew. And it means hollow subterranean place. And also ma'lat, which means is death or the abode of the dead. Death. Now, that this first unpleasant word, at least for me, it is sha'alal or shiol. Uh, the child root for sha'alal or shiol is sha'al which means to beg or to pray to let me out. It literally means let me out. And the first two symbols in both words show us that this is a devouring power. So, you know, I I feel like, you know, Sheol is an entity, uh, as is the next unpleasant word, ma-loth, which can be interpreted as death, the place or abode of the dead, it can mean fatal disease or pestilence as well as destruction. Now, David uh, contrasts this negative energy. Now, Hebrews, they love to do that. You know, you have the negative and the positive side by side, sort of, you know, take the right choice. So he contrasts this negative image with there is no remembrance of you in the abode of death. And in Sheol, who will cast forth your praise? Now, the word uh, for praise, Yadaha, uh, the first two symbols of this word are the Yod or Yad and the Dalet or Dalt. And it literally means, which are the Kasub for hand. And um, so to recap everything that we've come through so far uh, the first section of the first section of Psalm 6 David asks for help for healing the second part he chronicles what's happening in his life with this portion ending on why he thinks Yahawaha should should assist him he says my eyes are moth eaten and this comes from Ashash, as in your clothes falling to pieces because of age, overuse, or moth. If you'll notice, um, the well, I forgot to put this in there, but um, the symbol uh, uh, institutes, it starts with the iron, and this looks like the eye. I noticed some people have been <laughs> showed posting the eye of Sauron. So this eye is an imperative. When you saw this, when you saw this, the symbol of the eye, that is an imperative to look. Look at this. And after, what are you supposed to notice? The shan or shin occurs twice. Now, as I said before, in the Paleo-Hebrew, they didn't have punctuation or uh, capitalization so how they would emphasize something would be to repeat it if you remember in the new testament uh, 
Yeshua would say, truly, truly, I say unto you. Well, he's, he's emphasizing, he's actually saying, amana, amana. He's saying, truly, truly, I say unto you. Uh, so to repeat something is to emphasize it. So the Sean is the picture of a teeth. It looks like a W. It looks like a W. And it, it represents teeth to eat or consume or devour. So, so this is a double, um, a shosh. It's a, a double mark of teeth. So it's really destructive. Nancy states that my eyes are stricken with age. Because the Paleo-Hebrew language is pictographic in nature, you might say that Yah built in an autocorrect of his own. If you look, for instance, on um, its page, I think 25, uh, Athuk. We have Athuk. And I kind of drew this to give you an understanding of what's happening here. You have a thuk, which is ion, thu, some in the modern it's called tav or tal, and the kuf. And the ion means to I see, observe. The thu means uh, sign, mark, or covenant. And kuf means uh, sun on the horizon path or time and if you'll notice the kuf it actually looks like uh a, you can actually see that it looks like a pathway and the sun on the horizon would, would have been the sun going down in the in the ocean or the sea so in the paleo it means it literally means you can look at it i marks the path of time and so that's what he's saying when he says, my eyes are stricken with age. I marks the passage of time. So that just shows you that the accessibility of the Paleo-Hebrew, uh, even if you don't read it, if you don't understand it, you can get a good bit of meaning just from looking at the pictures of the letters. Now we're on page 26, and I sort of highlighted uh, the next word and put if you're wondering we are here so that you can see uh, that yes this is this is this is the the word we're working on now and that's word is zarar which most lexicons define as adversary or uh, rival the two letter parent word is czar which I find interesting H6862, which means adverse, adverse, adversary, enemy, distress, affliction, stone, or rock, which is seen as being something being compact and, and hard. And by doubling the, if you'll notice on that highlighted word, by doubling the Rosh, he is actually saying that this is his chief rival. Not just any adversary, his chief rival. Put these men together, you have the sense of this person is being pressed, uh, their path of their life, Zod, uh, becoming narrow through distress, where he doesn't have a lot of options. And in the last, last section, 
uh, in Psalms of, from the Paleo Hebrew, David exists, he exhibits his trust in Allahayah. He says, turn away from me, depart. And that word, turn away, depart, comes from H5493, Tsar, which is Samit Resh, which is not Tsar, it's Tsar. And Hebrews love to do that, play on words. Put two words that are very similar together, close together. And please forgive my shaky drawing at the bottom of 26. Um, the psalmic picture support guard thorn or turning. When the letters are combined, these literally mean turn the head. Turn the head. Uh, a beautiful scene uh, where someone turned aside in, in a good sense. Not the bad sense as in turning away from Yah. But in a good sense, we see that in Exodus 3, 1 through 6. And I'm using Farrar Fenton's Bible. I put that at the top of 27. And this is God's revelation in the burning bush. Would you like to read that, Noah? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. All right, trying to get an echo here. All right, here we go. God's revelation in the burning bush. And of course, I guess you assume you want me to read this in the as the names were given here. So Moses, well, you however, could, you could do you could do either one if you want to put instead of uh, you know God, Lord, you, you could put whatever you want to do. just read it as you will. I gotcha. I'm on it. Moshe, however, was shepherding the sheep of Jethro. I guess that would be like Jethro with a Y there, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he had led the sheep to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of Elohim in Horeb, where a messenger of the ever-living appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush. When he looked, he saw that the bush burnt with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Then Moshe said, I will draw near and examine this great wonder, why the bush is not burnt up. But Yahuwah saw that he approached to examine it. So Elohim called to him from the midst of Sinai and said, Moshe, Moshe, and he answered, I am here. Very good. Now, you might be wondering, why am I using Farrar Fenton? I, I, Fenton's translation, I just, like I said, it's a new to me, even though I think he worked like from the late 1800s. Uh, I admit I, I just couldn't help myself. Um, Fenton was accused of being erroneous and amateurish in his translations. And uh, why? It's because he went against the accepted version of the Hebrew translations. He argued that these translators made a mistake and instead of, you know, successive generations of translators fixing the problem they just kept uh they kept repeating the errors and i emphasize i, I empathize with him i greatly I, and i greatly admire his use of ever living instead of the traditional you know l-o-r-d i also i applaud his translating Malak as messenger. 
no translation, as I said, is 100% accurate, but I've enjoyed his, his translation, what I've read so far. Now, once again, we are in the middle of a bit of controversy. There's, there may be some people who react negatively. First, let me address this first. Malak, as I said, means one who walks for another. It is usually translated angel or king. This word is, this one is a bit different. In this particular section, it's a little bit different. We have instead of Mom Lamad Kaf, we have Mom Lamad Alf Kaf. You see the difference? A an Aleph has been dropped in it. Now the Aleph, the addition of the Alf, it changes the meaning. It's not just any message. This is the first chief primary messenger. We also need to, I'm going to, you know, with all due respect to Mr. Fenton, I do like what I've seen. Uh, we need to erase some of those articles that don't happen in Hebrew. We're, we love our A, the, uh, we add so many of them, so many articles and prepositions in English, but in reality, it's not there. So, if we erase those those superfluous words, this should actually re read this section, Chief Messenger Yahawaha, our first messenger ever living. Now, uh, that's a little bit, you know, that's a little bit controversy that Yahawaha is a messenger. And more to come, as I say. Next, we see the word Paul. Pa, pa it means to make or fabricate. Some people define this word as work or workers. This per word can be a person who attempts to create, to devise. The word Paul does not carry a negative or positive connotation unless we add it. And uh, I noticed that Michael, yes, Michael, he dropped Paul. That's what um, Stephen Pidgeon and the Sefer, uh, instead of using the name Paul, they say Paul, worker. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, that is what that word means, worker. Worker, fabricator, uh, designer, divisor. Any one of those would work. And it's coupled with Alan. Now, Alan, it states that, Jacinius states that that word means nothing, as in vanity or falsehood, fraud, misfortune, adverse circumstances. It can also, if you take away the Naku, which, as I've said before, the Naku are an interpolation. That means it was added later, added later. Um, many Bible scholars of the 18th, I mean, the 19th century, 1800s, there was one particular, he said, all those Nikuds need to be erased. We need a clean copy. We need to erase all that. 
So um, this can also mean vigor, strength, and power. And that meaning actually it, it lines up a little bit better with um, the paleo. So this would be a strong, powerful fa falsehood, a fraud or a misfortune on a grand scale. De David tells us that this fabricator of falsehood, uh, he tells him to depart. For Yahawaha has heard and answered Shema, his voice of weeping. Now, David makes a note of these these positive outcomes of his supplication. First, Yahawaha heard and answered. Secondly, Yahawaha, ever living, accepted his prayer. He has taken or received uh, David's hymn of supplication. Heard and answered is derived from a well-known term, Shema in the modern Israeli Hebrew or Shema in the Paleo. And I wrote it again with my shaky uh, apple pen at, at the bottom of 28. And David ends this psalm with a note of expectation. Now, let's look at that again. I'm going to, to read it because I, I think I forgot to put that in. If you have your... Um, if you have your songs in the patio, you can follow along on page, I can find myself, on page 39. He says, let the hope and expectation of my, of my adversaries fail, and let my haters be exceedingly vexed. Let their mind be troubled and confused. Let them tremble in trepidation. Turn them back and put them to silence in a week. So uh, we have a, a different term for adversary. If you'll notice at the top of 29 uh, in the PDF, Aleph. Yah-bot. It means a powerful work inside. With the Yah suffix, it becomes my hater, my adversary. Uh, he will turn them back. The understanding here is that the adversary will be converted or that he will return to Al-Hayyan in his way. The psalm ends with Rana, in a wink, in a moment, suddenly, instantly, the hater will be turned back, converted to the way of Al-Hayyam in a very quick, very sudden moment of time. So, um, thus ends the our study of Psalm 6. And at this point, I'm... Um, I'm going to, I guess, stop with our study and open it up for anyone who has questions. Pamela, that was way more than I think anybody here expected. That was amazing. I know 
everybody sitting through this really enjoyed that. Can I, I'm putting you on the spot here. I should have brought this up earlier. Is it safe to say that you are done with uh, your job in Florida this week? Have we, have yes, we I, that? I say goodbye in a friendly kind of way. Uh, and I'm currently, if you, if you fit, hear it echoey here in my apartment, it's because I'm, I'm packing up my things and uh, I'm starting, starting a new journey in my life. So, um, I was half expecting you would pull a Thelma and Luis and like just drive up here to the Outer Banks. And, uh, but uh, yeah, that's, so that's exciting. So this week, Pamela, Pamela came to my house for Passover. And so we had a few days that just, uh, she and I just had to sit down and talk and, and uh, she's excited that this day, uh, I think she's been pushed to her limits and the the school system and she's ready to move on to the next part of her life now there's going to be people here with questions and i have just a couple here i took a couple notes uh, but one thing I, I really liked pamela that you talked about and you say this a lot is because you get into the being that you get into the paleo and you get into the pronunciations and everybody here knows that i um uh, i could not pronounce many things correctly to save my life. It's actually pretty embarrassing. And but you were you were saying that it's um it's not about pronunciation but about knowing the character of the father. And I it's interesting because just today uh I was I was reading some uh Plato again. I'm kind of brushing up on my uh, uh philosophy 101 and the big thing with platonism all right, I'm just, for, for everyone out there in, in Bible land that gets, you know, you get in these arguments about the pronunciation of names. The, the thing is with Plato is that uh, when you would talk about uh, like the world of forms that we live in, we would call this the matrix, how um, our knowledge of Elohim, or you could say of, of God, or however he would say it in Greek, uh, that it it comes from, according to Plato, through our intellect, uh, which comes from a pre-existence in heaven. In other words, he says the only reason we could know about a creator is because we we are in the world of forms and it comes from a prior existence. There's a point to this. So just follow through with me on this. Um, where I highly disagree with Plato is he, he puts everything on the intellect Whereas I would say Yahusha HaMashiach and even a, a proper reading of the transformative document that is the Torah is about the heart, right? So it is, uh, this is the difference between a Platonist and a Yahushaist uh, or Yahushuaist. And like if, if for those of you out there that you get so hung up on the intellect, that is a Platonic attitude versus a heart attitude, right? So uh, I just really like that point. And um, now there's a couple questions I do have here for you, Pamela, before. Uh, now, if anybody here does have a question, be sure to raise your hand. I can bring you up on stage. You can ask a question or make a comment uh, before we uh, close shop for the night. Uh, number one, you had talked about uh, the, the uh, Raphaim, or you said Raphael, which means you said uh all al or how you pronounce that? Yeah, will he? Yeah, in in the paleo you pronounce it pronounce it all all not al. Um, 
in the modern Israeli Hebrew, it, they pronounce it El. So it's Raphael, and uh, in the Paleo, it would be Raphael. Well, the reason I bring this up, because I this is the first I've heard this, and it was fascinating. There were people listening in going, this is really fascinating, because the, the standard idea, which I think Michael Heiser really – popularized recently he just died a couple weeks ago uh but he said that um it, that raphaim meant dead one and um so i'm curious your thoughts on that is there any connection do you see in the uh maybe the paleo to dead one or because uh, you had talked about it and maybe you could even elaborate on what it is to regenerate uh i think maybe you were hinting at coming back what are your thoughts on that well, uh, in the paleo, it's Rosh, which is head, chief, or first. Uh, pa, uh, fa, or pay. And then I think uh, Aleph. So um, you've got chief, first, and then you've got speech, or mouth, and then you've got a power again. So um, I, I'm not seeing in in the the paleo anything about dead ones the word for dead as we went over was ma loth so uh there are some who said dead ones it could be that they're going by the the word weak or feeble if you think in spiritual terms uh to Allah Hayam, yes he they might be a giant but they are weak they are weak. They are ruled by their, their, their passions, their desire, their vengeance, their anger, whatever. They're ruled by it. And uh, I have found that the more people get away from uh, Al-Hayam, the more they lose that creative creativity, their, their really life, you know. Um, and I'm not talking about the physical. I'm talking about, you know, your your ruah, your ruah. So, uh, well, yeah. So that was that was really fascinating because you know I I was thinking about doing something on Og, and everybody here knows you know Og was a Rephaim. and um, one of the ideas is that he came from the realm of the dead. In fact, I think there was like charms that have been found in that region. The idea was is that people would. Uh, call upon Og to defend them. And one of the things I think he was probably doing when he went after Israel, because he was protecting Cana, they would, the, the locals there probably called upon him. So just the idea of this regeneration and so on and so forth, that I, I find that really fascinating. Uh, okay, now, now the one other thing I wanted to ask you, because if you did explain this, forgive me, but the the difference, but you had talked about the the nefash or the the soul. Can what are your thoughts on the difference between the nefash and the the ruach? Because it seems to me that it they're used interchangeably in scripture. Like you'll see it for a little bit of both. Uh, I think in the book of Enoch it says that the it says the ruachs of the dead nefash. The dead soul. So I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, so, if, do you have any thoughts on the difference between the nefash and the ruach? Well, uh, ruach means breath, and um, humans—that is, Adam—was created with 
he was created with breath. He was the, the breath of, of uh, Yah. And he became a nafash. So if you can think in terms of breath, breath of Yah, and then nafash, nafash. And nafash, you, you were seen as nafash if you breathed, as I said. You were living if you could breathe. Um, ruach is instead of the ha at the end, you have the wall of protection. And I think in terms of the ruach, uh, she is both a wall of protection and a wall of obstruction. You see this action in Genesis 1 verse 2, where darkness rises up from the abyss and the ruach al-hayam reacts violently as a wall of protection sort of saying you're you're not you're not coming here i've just cleaned the house you're not coming in my house and making a mess so she was a wall of protection the the earth had been swept clean laid bare and stop she says stop uh lisa said something about goliath uh yes that is why he cut his head off Goliath was Raphael, and the only way you could kill them was to cut the head off. Really, because he might have regenerated. So this is kind of like a this is kind of like a Highlander thing here. You had to, and uh, if you notice, David went after the brothers too, because there was there was five of them, and he went he and his men went after the other four because there was there was five brothers there, and Goliath I suppose was the biggest or meanest. And, Pamela, I'm sorry to interrupt, Pamela. Why do you suspect that uh, you had to cut their head off? What What was the importance of that? I don't. I I'm not sure, but I think it has to do with you know your spine, the spinal cord. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I just know that that was that was the thing. If you notice, uh, a lot of times in mythology, uh, that's what you had to do. They it was the practice to cut out, cut off the head of some of these monsters, uh, some of these witches. They would bury the witches face down so that if they did come back, they would dig them instead of digging their way out of the dirt. They they were digging deeper themselves deeper. So uh, uh, it was. Well, I'll never I'll never think of Highlander the same way again. Uh, the last the well, one more thing here and. We could always, if nobody is raising their hands to speak in here, the, the I know everyone is intently listening right now, and so people are commenting. We could always move over to the, uh, the just the, the regular voice chat room. Uh, my last, my last thing was on the Shima. Could you maybe uh, explain the the meaning of that one more time? Shema. Yes. Uh, well, if you look in the the, the paleo, you've got Shem or. Sh or Sean, I mean, Sean, Sean, uh, Mom, and Ayan. And the first two letters spell the word name. And so it's Ayan, C, observe the name. And so it's, they, they call, you know, a, a lot of 
a lot of people, they're afraid to say the sacred name, so they say Hashem, Hashem. And so it's, it means observe the eye. Shema, observe the eye. I mean, observe the name. Does that make sense? Thank you. Uh, I don't have anything more to add. Pamela, is there anything you wanted to say before we, unless if somebody wants to raise their hand, come up here and ask a question, uh, or you could always write one in. Did you have before, anything that you wanted? Before we uh, go over to the to the regular voice chat, I do want to say one thing. I've had some people who, who've asked me some questions about, about some of the names in the, the book, the Paleo-Hebrew um, if you'll if you'll notice if you've got it if you look through it remember that in the paleo there is no capitalization there is no punctuation however to help you people understand that i'm talking about the most high that i am talking about the name or a name of the most high i put it in all caps uh yaha uh, all these names, I put them in all caps, just like Mr. Fenton, uh, Farrar Fenton, he put ever living in all caps. It's it's a good practice, although in the Hebrew, it would it would not. There is no capitalization. As I said, for emphasis, they would repeat something. So uh, if you see in, in, in your book, if you look, Everywhere you see all caps, I'm talking about the most high or Yeshua, one or the other. All right. Well, thank you, Pamela. That was incredible. And I think we're going to uh, cut this portion off right here. And then we can all go over to the general voice chat. We can just continue the conversation over there. So uh, once again, thank you, Pamela. And you guys can ask your questions as we go over there. So if in the instance that I cut the recording here, Shabbat Shalom one last time, everybody. And uh, we'll do this again next week. I'll meet you guys over there. Yeah, I think, sorry if I rudely... <laughs> <laughs> just give you guys the boot in the last room, but uh, let the uh, after party begin and you guys can ask Pamela questions as long as she wants to stick around tonight or, um, you know, just bring up anything, talk about anything, handing over to you guys. Well, yeah, Pam, I got a question about the word for uh, Kindle of Fire. That word Kindle. Do you have a breakdown on that? Now, say that again. I'm, I'm having difficulty hearing you. Uh, yeah, when the... Uh, oh, whoops. One second. Okay, sorry about that. I accidentally logged out of my computer, but I can still hear. Um, in, the, in the Torah, when it talks about uh, don't kindle a fire on the Sabbath day, do you have a breakdown on the word kindle? Uh, well, uh, I, when I've looked into it, it has to do with like business. Like if you're kindling a fire to create something like in terms of um, a baker kindling uh, a fire in his oven to bake bread 
or kindling a fire, even if you're kindling a fire, like say to to create vessels for the temple, or they at that time it would have been a tabernacle. Uh, if you're conducting any sort of business, you're you're building a fire to to uh, to to do something in terms of making money. Uh, that is, in my opinion, uh, what he's meaning by kindling a fire. When I first came to Torah, I did ridiculous things, ridiculous things, because I I was wanting to keep it perfectly, you know, which I don't know that I can. I I'm human, but I did ridiculous things like I uh, I to keep from kindling a fire, as in you know, because. This one Jewish site said, don't turn on your lights in your house. The night before the sun goes down, turn all the lights you're going to be needing the next day on so that you won't create kindle a, a fire. Don't use your oven. Don't crank your car. Don't turn on your washing machine. And so I did ridiculous things like uh, I, I taped my refrigerator light so that it would not come on. That is how ridiculous I was when I was when I first came to Torah, because you know I was so overzealous. Um, I I do not think that, uh, although I think it would be good practice. Like say, for instance, you have wood heat in your house. It would be a uh, good practice if you say, for instance, kept your your fire banked during the night, so you didn't have to rebuild your fire. But if your fire goes out, I, I, I don't see that the Most High would expect you to stay in freezing cold and endanger yourself or your family, especially if you're in a very frigid place. I, I don't think that's what it means at all. I hope that helped you. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's kind of more talking about, uh, um, I totally agree on everything you just said right there. but. When I say the, or what I mean when I ask that question about Kindle, is I've heard some people say it's the act of like creating the spark or actually lighting the fire. And others say, no, it's just adding wood. Adding wood itself is kindling, even if the fire is already going. I was wondering if the breakdown of the word in the paleo or something like that. Well, if you had the verse, I could. I would have to look it up because I don't know. I don't have it memorized offhand if I, if I had the verse. So if you could look that up and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I could look at it then in the paleo and see what I say. In Deuteronomy, there was a man that was caught gathering kindling and he was brought before uh, or it was it was brought to Moses's attention. And Moses came uh, to uh, Yah and asked him what to do. And it was Jah that pronounced judgment that he was to be taken outside of the gates and stoned. So I think the term kindling can also mean a few different things, not just kindling a fire, but kindling is also a type of uh, wood. So I think, you know, the uh, drawing a kindling, gathering kindling, and uh, making a kindling fire could all be part of the same uh, uh how would you say uh, reference when it comes to uh, the Sabbath, what to do with it or what to not to do with it? 
I've also heard that a lot of people, you know, like Pamela was saying, you know, they don't even snap a light switch on because it actually sparks an arc inside the light switch, which is kindling a fire. Uh, and I think that's kind of taking it to the extreme, but, you know, that's part of that kindling too, is uh, that arc and the spark and electrical shock to initiate a light switch. Well, I think in that particular in that particular situation, the guy was literally working. I mean, if you go out and you're foraging around trying to pick up and find wood for a fire, you're working. <laughs> and he should have done that the day before. He should have gathered the wood that he needed for that day because, uh, you know, just to pick it up and throw it on a fire, I wouldn't consider that work. You know, you're just keeping the fire going that you already have. But to go out and be gathering wood on the Sabbath, that was literally work, and that's why he was condemned. Yes, I concur. I'm not uh, arguing with you on that. I was referring to the sticks as being kindling. Uh, uh, Josh made a good point. He said that uh, that the man who was uh, who was was put to death, he had he was he was gathering the wood for a purpose. Um, and that he he had already he had already broken Sabbath, you know, in his heart, Lob or Leb, which is the leader inside. He had already broken Sabbath in his heart. He had already profaned Sabbath. And um it's it right here it says uh interesting that's uh it says uh but I which is very interesting. Uh, inner house. It's it's saying here not to consume it. Maybe it says don't let your fire go out. That's what it's meaning. You better not let your fire go out so that you have to build it up again. Well, right there uh, in 35.3, you shall not burn a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath. So, I mean, that, that seems pretty clear there. You're not even supposed to have a fire, period. Uh, well, maybe maybe in desert regions. Uh, but really, uh, you know, really, let's, let's think in terms of he doesn't, you know, there are some people in this world who would have you, you know, laying comatose on your bed on Sabbath, not moving, barely breathing, um, and in the cold, in the dark. And the word in Jacinius, he's, he's saying that you should not uh, kindle, as in, for the kindle, he's saying that uh, you will not feed it to feed, uh, feed upon, to eat, or eat it up to consume, as in to gather a bundle. That's what he's he's saying. Don't gather a bundle of firewood, specifically so that you can consume it with fire. Uh, that's what it's saying here. Become brutish, to depasture a field. Uh, these are different meanings of that one word that is considered kindle.